0: Welcome to the Create Equity Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Taylor. In our last episode on approaching cultural equity, we talked about Create Equity's framework for researching and understanding cultural equity. Here to talk about employing some of that methodology is my faculty colleague at American University, Denise Saunders Thompson. She also serves as chairperson and executive director of the International Association of Blacks in Dance. I'm excited to be talking with Denise Saunders-Thompson. She's a producer, consultant, business manager, educator. She's chairperson, executive director for the International Association of Blacks in Dance, and I'm excited to have her as a faculty colleague here at American University in our arts management program. Hi, Denise.
1: Hi, Andrew.
0: I'm uh, particularly excited to talk to you because we're doing a series on cultural equity Building on an article in the Create Equity website, um, and as I looked at all the categories and the ways of thinking about it, I could think of you doing work in each one of those categories. Uh, so maybe just start by telling us a little bit about your work, uh, particularly the International Association of Blacks in Dance and related work you do in the arts.
1: Sure. Uh, I am the executive director and chair of the International Association of Blacks in Dance, which is a nonprofit service organization that preserves and promotes dance of uh, African descent and origin uh, here in the United States, and we have members from across the world. Um, The organization has been in existence for 25 years. This is its 25th year, and it's been producing a conference and festival for 29 years.
0: Great. You've been doing this for a bit, (laughs) then. How much of that time have you been involved? How much of
1: the time I've been involved since I was a student, which was 1987, Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So right at its birth and creation, I've known about the organization because my background lies in theater and dance.
0: Well, I wanted to then cycle back because we have lots to talk about in that association. But more broadly, what drew you into actually working in the arts in the first place? Why were you? Why are you? <laughs> why did you start doing this work?
1: My mom, <laughs> my family, I come from a family of performers. Uh, my mother was a music teacher and a jazz singer. Uh, and her mom, uh, my grandmother, was a uh, music director for her church choir. And so performance uh, in some f- uh, form or fashion has always been a part of my life. I can remember starting to dance literally when I was like four or five years old. I was in Richard Risley's dance studio in Tolland, Connecticut. Okay. And I took classes. All right. I remember that really well. So the arts have always been prominent and very dominant in my life since I was a little child.
0: So in dance and theater and performing arts, yes? Yes. And I know that extended to include uh, producing and probably directing and doing all the things. Yeah,
1: yeah, so high school, you know, I was doing my thing in the performing arts and then um, I decided to go to college. Well, mom and dad said, you're going to college. <laughs> and I ended up going to my mom's alma mater, which is Howard University, and studied uh, as the first musical theater major for my first year of college. However... After I began to learn about the um, performing arts and what it's really going to take to be successful and be that A star, mm-hmm. you know, that A star, um, I was like, no, I don't want to gig for the rest of my life. I don't want to have that type of lifestyle that wasn't for me. Still wanting to stay in the arts, uh, Howard University had a theater arts administration program. So I changed my major and I fell in love with what happens behind the scenes and I became the resident stage manager for the uh, Department of Drama, that's what its name was back when I was in school at Howard, for the remaining four years. I took a year off, I had an opportunity to do a fellowship at Harrow's Casino. I had all of these great opportunities to really hone in on what I I wanted to do um, with my life, with my career. In theater arts administration, the performing arts in that area, that was it. Um, but still, I was able to continue to sing and dance uh, because that's part of the practical experience that you have at the university, too. So not only do you learn the behind the scenes and you can focus in it, but you still have the opportunity to continue in the performing arts um, Uh, on stage. Wow,
0: so you've been in it for a long time. A long
1: time and at a very young age. (laughs) So
0: um, this series is about cultural equity, so I thought we could maybe do two things at once. One is maybe to get your reflections on what that phrase means to you and also think about a moment in your career where you started paying more energy and attention to the issues of cultural equity. So first off, what does that mean, cultural equity?
1: (laughs) Equality is a great part of that term and it means having equal access it means being a person of color having the same type of uh, access that a person who does not have color has or someone as we say who's non-white right who's white excuse me um so that is what that means for me and and honestly my first well not my first job but my second job out of college i was living in atlanta georgia uh, my first job, I was the um, uh, project coordinator at several dancers' corps in Atlanta, Georgia, for the Atlanta Dance Initiative. And I was working with Nello McDaniel and George Thorne, that Arts way. Action Research, um, years ago. And after that project finished, my first job was at the Alliance Theater Company. And I interviewed for a position in the development office as special events manager. and. This was my first, my first taste of cultural equity. I was asked to raise part of my salary as a uh, special events manager. And I was like, wait a minute. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> really? Um, yeah. And I was the first African-American woman to work in their development office there and asked to raise a portion of her salary to work
0: there. And that was not something others were asked? to That, that was sensed? not
1: something others were asked to do. Kenny Leon was just starting his first year or second year, I think, as um, the uh, artistic director of the Alliance Theater Company. So literally on the cusp of the thought processing, I think back then, the term was multiculturalism, right? Um, and so I raised an eyebrow. But yeah. I'm not the one to back down. <laughs> and so I said, Fine. I can raise this money. I was asked to raise $10,000. And what did I do? So I went straight to the uh, black small business uh, community in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was talking to them about the Alliance Theater Company. And everyone wants to, go to the theater enjoy what's there be a part of that world and this particular a uh, particular sector was not being asked to be involved in a community that had this amazing theater uh, organization that had really started to begin to produce black plays based on the fact that they now had an uh, African-American artistic director. And so I um, came up with a small business program for them to give. And so the highest amount was $5,000. The lowest amount would be $500. And you would get, you know, a recognition in the program, a few tickets, maybe invitation. You know, the old marketing ploys, (laughs) invitation to a reception, And there was a door that was opened for these businesses that have been in this community to now um, become a part of a major theater organization. And And that's where I raised my money really quickly. (laughs) And
0: what did the organization think about all this?
1: They thought it was great. And that program is still in process today as part of the Alliance Theater Company. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I I can't say how that would be. I mean, certainly I think there could be some... um, uh, changes in the criteria <laughs> around how it's given and how an organization applies, but uh, for funding. But if an organization actually did have that access, again, what, what does what would that look like? What is the, the larger impact of um, the offerings that could now be given on a different level to the organization for a smaller um, grassroots org in, in a smaller community? I know specifically for IEBD, we are a nonprofit volunteer organization, so I don't even earn a salary. I have been doing this work for many years, and I do it because I'm committed to it, and that's it. That is it. But I know the impact and the need is great, and we try and and do what we can with what we have. It's been working for 29 years. Right, right. The point to now imagine is if we had access to funding, what would be the results of having a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollar budget? Right. A million dollar budget. What would that look like? And I think it would change the landscape and it would change the equity, the access, the inclusion, the cultural democracy Mm -hmm. (laughs) of how we get what we get and how we do what we do
0: right and i know you're actually you getting some of those resources i know you recently got some funding from the Mellon foundation is that correct to do the learning magnet
1: we did we did so national Arts strategies is based here in the washington dc area and they are a leader in cultural arts education i guess you could say Mm -hmm. right and um, we together teamed up and wrote a grant to Doris Duke Foundation um, as part of their uh, national projects offerings that they have and were awarded um, money specifically to begin to give classes and educational training sessions and online um, uh, educational courses to those inside of the IABD community that are running Arts organizations, our choreographers, our independent artists, educators. So we're looking at now giving access, (laughs) you know, equitably to those who are doing, again, the same things that many of the mainstream organizations are. But we are now um, giving them the tools to do that. And the learning magnet uh, specifically will start with leadership. Yeah, we need to start with leadership. Mm. How do you successfully lead an organization something i teach here at american cultural leadership you know but that's important because we have all these creatives and they need to have um uh some a framework for how they really step into that position and run their own dance companies and institutions moving forward
0: so how did that evolve that into um, i mean the work you're doing now is all over the world um At a big scale, (laughs) trying to change things on all levels. Um, How did that sort of evolve in your work?
1: Um, I think just over the years, um, being in the field and having to always give 200%, knowing that others are not always giving 200% based on the color of my skin, to be quite honest Mm. with you and Frank. Um, It's something that I've lived with as as a young person uh, growing up in... um, Talland, Connecticut, being uh, one of four families that lived in that area who were African American. And knowing, you know, having a really good sense, thank you to my my family and and my um, grandparents, that I was a person of color. And that I still was able to contribute to society as best as anyone else could, and particularly in my field, regardless of skin color. And Howard University, for me, really gave me that sense of self. Um, And moving forward, just knowing that those are going to be obstacles that I can always overcome with ease, because I know who I am, and I know what's fair, and what community is about and and how that takes place when you're talking about nonprofits and involvement particularly on a grassroots level
0: yeah and what yeah. strikes me about the work you do all over the place certainly here at American but also in the association is it's about creating a bridge to everyone else to feel the same way yeah it's like I can do this there's a way for me and if the way is blocked you you seem to remove the block I do or at least point at it I do <laughs>
1: and I and I think I um the work for me over the years has been not to be afraid of it and to go and confront it and whatever the outcome is, hoping that it's a good one because sometimes people, what I've learned, um, really need to be spoken to in a way that's not the same language that they're used to and to be giving a different point of view. And I think once that begins to happen and they're open to that dialogue, and even if they're not open to it, they at least hear it, it gives uh, another thought process, another way of someone looking at a uh, situation or a matter and approaching approaching it in a different way. Right. which is beneficial for everyone.
0: Sure. Well, let's cut to some examples because as I okay. said, as I was reading the article again, uh, it presents essentially four visions, sort of lenses through mm-hmm. which we might look at and think about um, both the problems and solutions around equity. Yeah. Um, and briefly, those are diversity or taking mainstream institutions and making sure they are diverse in their board, in their artists, in their functioning, and their programs. Uh, prosperity focuses on Creating more large-scale institutions in communities of color. So let's let's make big institutions that serve an audience mm-hmm. instead of diversifying the um, existing ones. Uh, redistribution, which is more about well, let's not give everything every nickel to the large institution. <laughs> let's let's actually spread it a little bit further out because um, often um, not just an African American, but many community uh, cultural organizations aren't big and don't necessarily need or want to be big. Right. Um, And then finally, self-determination. So it feels like, again, in your history, you've got at least one thing and probably 10 (laughs) in each of those. Uh, Starting with diversity, I know one of the things you did recently or fairly recently was a a ballet audition for women of color. Right. uh, Which, as it struck me, was a way of increasing the diversity of both major and other ballet companies. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was about? Why did you do it?
1: Sure, so uh, two years ago, uh, the founder of IABD, International Association of Blacks in Dance, that's the acronym, um, was invited to uh, Regional Dance America. And there she was receiving uh, an honor and award for her history. She is uh, Joan Myers Brown, and uh, she's the founder and artistic director of philadenco which is the Philadelphia Dance Company. They are a 50-year-old-plus dance organization that's been in Philadelphia, obviously, for many years. And she was sitting there during um, a performance of uh, a number of ballet performances and leaned over to um, the director and, and asked, where are the women of color? During the entire event, she only saw one black ballerina on stage that entire event. And the artistic director responded by saying, well, we can't find them. That's so untrue. <laughs> That's so so untrue. Um, no, you haven't looked for them, and so thus the idea of a, a ballet audition was born. Um, and and of course, with all of the talk around cultural diversity, equity, access, um, et cetera, et cetera, this was absolutely the right time to do it. So we put together an opportunity to present women of color in the ballet world. And boy, did they come and show out. There were over 100 um, applications for the audition. And because of weather, we were in Denver this past January, January 2016. We had that huge um, <laughs> a snowstorm. But we still had 87 young women to show up at a ballet audition for some of the ballet, um, premier ballet companies of the United States. So here they are. You can't find them. We will find them for you in large numbers. And we turn people away, you know, in large, large numbers. And they are technically proficient. They are beautiful dancers, and they are looking for training opportunities. They're looking for professional opportunities. They want to be part of your companies.
0: And you were able to draw some major dance companies to come and we see? We
1: had amazing dance companies. The Joffrey was there, uh, Charlotte Ballet, Memphis Ballet, um, the School of American uh, Ballet came as an observer, and... Um, Nashville. I mean, they were from all over the country. We had 15 ballet companies, uh, artistic directors present. Wow. Um, so amazing. Yeah.
0: Now yeah. I know, so that's an, a, one example of many in diversity. I know you've also worked with major institutions like the Kennedy Center and Lincoln Center. Uh, but piv- pivoting over to prosperity, I know sure. you also work with organizations that either um, that, that have a dominant presence in a community of color or that uh, work. One of those is Debbie Allen. Um, dance Academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, not maybe not specifically and exclusively, but mm-hmm. it has a real focus and commitment to uh, serving communities of color. Think, uh, Tell me a little bit about what it means to build significant organizations that have a significant commitment to um, their communities.
1: Sure. You know, dance is a universal language. I believe that. I think the performing arts are a universal language. We all connect in some form or fashion to movement, to what we hear, to what we feel. There is a, an emotional connection that happens um, for us inside of the performing arts. And even the visual arts, you see a painting and there's something that you get or read from it that you can connect to. And Miss Allen, Debbie Allen, has um, that uh, incredible intuitive sense as well to help young people um, refine and refocus their energies inside of the performing arts and her academy does that with all levels starting from itty-bitty, two three-year-old girls and boys dancing to, you know, your pre-professional high school, college age, even dancers. And the organization is rooted in using dance as a way of still assisting and growing and developing our young people, and particularly young people of color um, in the Los Angeles area. Um, you know historically, there are communities inside of um, l a proper Compton, and other areas that have had high gang violence and and ways of kind of pulling our young people off of their correct path and She's been able to go into those communities and get those young people to be a part of her organization and and help them you know, get past their age limit. I hate to say that, but, you know, the lifespan of of a young black boy in Los Angeles is certainly not the same as one who, you know, might live in Denver, Colorado. It's just not the same um, based on the circumstances of of the community. And her organization um, has been extremely successful in inviting all young people. It's not just people of, of color, but all young people to look at how dance is definitely an art form that helps um, uh, develop our our youth. And I've had the pleasure of working with her, gosh, for over 20 years in shows and classes, um, traveling with her on tour, using um, musical theater, um, which is kind of her primary focus uh, with plays there. Um, And I should say dance um, plays because they all have some type of dialogue, it's musical theater at its best, <laughs> um, to to bring this message uh, around the world and um, impact young people in a really great way.
0: And you were just with Debbie Allen and her company at the Kennedy Center. I yeah. was just
1: with her last two weeks ago at the Kennedy Center, uh, working on Freeze Frame, um, which is a, a piece about gun violence um, here in the Los Angeles area and across the United States, right. um, and it really depicts a very fair look at what our young people are going through in our communities, against what our you know our men in blue, our men and women in blue who are protecting us go through on the other end, and we're trying to find ways. I mean, we're trying to find ways to change. What's happening in our communities, um, particularly in communities of color, um, you know, stop, don't shoot, hands up. It's it's it is a um, problem that even I as a mother, I have a son who's nine years old. And, you know, I constantly when you hear about um, young black men being killed, I want my child to grow up and have a, a life in a normal life as much as you can. Um, But to at least get past a certain age to know that he's going to contribute in a great way to society.
0: Yeah, and it strikes me that the cultural equity is really so much about just equity, full stop. Yeah. Right? So it's not access to culture. You just talked about it's access to life. Yeah. And that culture is one of the (laughs) ways ways. to get through. Absolutely. to get get access. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Powerful stuff. Um, In (laughs) redistribution, I know you worked uh, quite aggressively in making sure funding... Uh, resources are available Uh, you I know um, encourage and or challenge I do (laughs) in your particular style I do Um, talk a little bit about redistribution which is sort of a long word but just I mean how do we just get uh, resources out beyond the big three or five institutions.
1: Well, that, you know, I'm I'm very blessed, I have to say, to be on the, to serve on the board of Dance USA, um, which has really been able to give me a platform over the last two years um, <laughs> to really voice my opinion, and I think the opinion, um, particularly of, again, the Black dance community, about redistribution. And um, yeah, we're kind of raising... The bar here, and we're asking all of these funders to take another look at how their um, application process does present barriers for organizations of color to access funds to do the same type of programming that's offered at our larger white mainstream institutions. Um, For me, this is a very, um, very live <laughs> discussion um, because you have organizations that um, I'll, and I'll just call them mainstream organizations that are trying to access communities um, and do work where you already have. Um, and I think this kind of runs into the self-determination part of our conversation too, where you already have organizations that have been doing this work for years. And you look at the equity, particularly in the financial um Uh, aspect of it. If an organization that was the size, um, that is, you know, the size of the Kennedy Center receives millions of dollars, I won't say millions, hundreds of thousands of dollars from the local arts institute versus uh, the local grassroots uh, organization that receives maybe five or ten thousand dollars, if they were to receive the hundred thousand dollars as well, What then does the cultural landscape look like? And would we even have small grassroots arts institutions? And when does the value of that work that the smaller institution um, does, when does that value actually be recognized? When is that value recognized in other ways besides the fact that it's a small grassroots organization doing the work, the impact that it has that's in its community, and the fact that they know what their community wants, how how it wants it, and how to reach the community in ways that a larger mainstream institution will never, ever accomplish.
0: Right. And here's where, I, yeah, you're right, that the redistribution <laughs> self-determination, because I would imagine a lot of the barriers to receiving the money is you have to look like a very large, large mainstream institution. Yeah which is either not appropriate or just not accessible or not, um, all sorts of things are blocked for them to be like that. So self-determination speaks about not just a formal corporate um, nonprofit being the only way to receive money, or even if that, it might look different, and right. that's okay. Right. Or churches or commercial or uh, community organizations might also receive the kind of resources they need to make their own choices.
1: Right. Because the financial health of a large institution versus a smaller institution is very different. And working with maybe 100000 or $200,000, could be financially healthy for an, an organization that's doing a certain type of work in a community. It is. It's, it doesn't negate the fact that they don't have hundreds or millions of thousands of dollars. But the fact has remained that if the access to the funding were a bit different,
0: Wow. And that's yeah. sort of what I wanted to sort of bring us back around, because your life as a teacher then, as a faculty member, you were at Howard University. Now you're here at American University teaching master's students in arts management. How does this conversation inform or um, impact what you do or how you teach? Or
1: It's amazing. It's It's like it's right always on time, I guess I could say. And it's always right at the forefront. Um, for me, and it it's interesting you say that, this uh, past week I was in London at a, a conference, Regenerations uh, Conference, which is a conference in uh, Birmingham, UK, that uh, is hosted by um, the Association of Dance of the African Diaspora. And this is a sister organization to IABD, but they're located in in England. And as part of some of the discussion, particularly around dance education, we have to have dance administrators. We have to have people who are able to continue to do the work, not on stage, but supportive inside of the administrative areas. And this was something that even in the UK, <laughs> you know, they're they're dealing with. So there are these parallels that are... Uh, between our organizations and also just inside of our community, um, proper that the, particularly the black British dance company, and then the, black, uh, excuse me, the black British, uh, dance, um, community, as well as the, um, black dance community here in the States and abroad, we're all dealing with those same issues. I don't know if I answered your question though. I think I'm you sorry. did. I? Just okay. in I? Okay. yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, So that that, that so. message, yes, thank you. So that message for me is is one and the same. Really? And um, you know, I'm, I'm meeting people and I'm talking to those who are running their organizations. I want to make sure that that educational component, so that they really have the tools, the toolkit, to know how to sustain and maintain their organizations.
0: Right. Well, yeah. in closing out, I know you're a, a woman of action, <laughs> so uh, it's really useful, I think, to have articles that help us frame a conversation. But for those listening, what can they do today and tomorrow to create more opportunities for equity and access?
1: That's a big question. But I think one thing, obviously, that comes um, to mind right away is that you have to um, be committed to really changing the look, the shape, and the feel of your organizations, and that includes the people that are working for you. Not only is it the programming, but the people who are actually helping you actualize what you do have to be part of that process, and so you have to open those doors. You have to you have to shake things up. It's not going to be fun. This is hard work. I'm learning that. Are there many times I'm just like, ah, I want to give up. I'm just tired of this. I mean, you know, um, but I guess I'm realizing, you know, in this process that it is due process and that we have to be mindful and open to change in all of its form. You have to. Otherwise, we won't learn. We won't grow. Our organizations will kind of be stale. Wow. People bring, you know, all types of great things to an organization. Culturally, it's just who we are. You bring something to American that I don't bring. I bring something to American that you don't bring. So you mash all that together, I guess, in in the pot, and you have something really great.
0: Wow. Well, I've been talking with Denise Saunders Thompson. She's a producer, consultant, business manager, educator, all-around action taker. Um, She's chairperson, executive director of the International Association of Blacks in Dance, and she's a faculty member at American University in the Arts Management Program. Thanks so much for your time, Denise.
1: Thank you, Andrew.
0: Have a great day. All right, you too. Thanks for listening to the Create Equity Podcast. I've been speaking with my faculty colleague at American University, Denise Saunders Thompson, who also serves as chairperson and executive director of the International Association of Blacks in Dance. We hope you enjoyed this series and we encourage you to continue the conversation online at createquity.com or through social media using the hashtag cultural equity.